You're listening to the Back Row Jet Show, part of the Back Row Network. Beautiful touch throw by Darnold. Darnold trying to extend his drive, throws off his back foot off balance, and he somehow finds Crowder. Now your host, Tom Tuttle and John Eddie Jr. Welcome into another episode of the Back Row Jets Show. We have a special guest on the show today who is a former scout of the New York Jets, Daniel Kelly. He is the author of, a, of the book, Whatever It Takes, The True Story of a Fan Making It to the NFL. Thank you for coming on the show today, Daniel. Tell us a little bit about your incredible journey uh, to get to the NFL. Absolutely. Thank you so much, uh, Tom and JJ, for having me on the show. And thank you to our listeners that are tuning in. Uh, it, it was really just an incredible experience. Uh, I'll try to put the, it put into cliff notes for us. Uh, it was just, uh, it all started back when I was growing up in Minnesota. I was a, a rabid fan of the Washington Redskins uh, growing up in Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> and um, my, my parents I had an, a, a playoff game on an old RCA television in the corner living room. Uh, Minnesota Vikings versus Washington Redskins. And it was love at first sight for me, but not for the hometown Minnesota Vikings, but rather for the Washington Redskins. And I was glued to the screen, guys. It, it was like, it's the only way to describe it is like when someone falls in love with someone. It was like every part of the team resonated with every fiber in my body. I mean, the, 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 the RFK Stadium, the fans, the electricity, Joe Gibbs, the head coach, the Hogs, the, the, the famous offensive line. Theismann, Riggins, I mean, everything about the mm -hmm. team resonated with everything I was as a little boy uh, growing up, uh, as I said, in Minnesota. And, and uh, a couple weeks later, of course, the uh, uh, Redskins uh, won Super Bowl uh, 17 mm -hmm. uh, against the uh, Miami Dolphins. The whole game came down to one play, fourth and one, <laughs> when head coach Joe Gibbs went for it uh, against legendary coach Don Shula. And the rest is history as, as the Redskins won the Super Bowl and I was off to the races with the team. How big of a fan was I? The next year the Redskins made the Super Bowl and lost to the Oakland Raiders 38 to 9 on the worst <laughs> days of my entire childhood. <laughs> I, I still have nightmares of Jack Squire uh, intercepting that pass by the end zone with Joe Theismann. Uh, to this day, I wake up in a cold sweat. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, Marcus Allen's reverse run. Uh, mm. uh, I'll. I'll how tough did I take the game, guys? Well, I actually threw up at nine years old after the game and missed three oh, days boy. of school. <laughs> Absolutely. So my, my Redskins fandom took off even further from there. Um, they just uh, If I wasn't thinking about the Redskins, I was talking about the Redskins. If I wasn't talking about the Redskins, I was dreaming about the Redskins. My entire bedroom was a Redskins shrine. I had a chance at 13 years old on Christmas night to call over. I called all the hotels in the area when the Redskins were in town to play the Vikings. My parents had gotten me a ticket to the game the day after Christmas in 1987, and I had a chance to get Dexter Manley on the phone, if you remember him at all, uh, the uh, star defensive end of the Redskins back in the day. Mm -hmm. And uh, he actually uh, talked to me for a while and actually invited me to the team hotel uh, wow. to meet him and all the players. <laughs> wow. So that was, uh, I talked about that and everything else in my book, Whatever It Takes. And that was an incredible experience. It's kind of like being a boy, you know, a young boy or a teenage boy and call him Joe Green or mm -hmm. Ray Lewis, mm -hmm. Deion Sanders, and he invites you to the team hotel. Yeah, absolutely. And it, 
it was incredible. And uh, went to the team and uh, you know, went to the hotel, met the team, met Dexter, got pictures with all the guys that appear in my book. Uh, they autographed my poster, met Joe Gibbs, everything that day. And, of course, the Redskins went on to win Super Bowl twenty two, uh, January 31st, 1988. The Murr 42-10 against the Denver Broncos. So not that I remember these days or anything. They're, they're, they're pretty significant to me. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And, uh, you know, so, so I, I just got more and more into it. I mean, um, you know, of course, I didn't have a, a girlfriend in high school because I was such a Redskins nerd. Uh, I, I, one of the kids in high school bet me that I could not wear a different Washington Redskins hat and T-shirt to high school every day for 30 days, and I won the bet. Oh <laughs> so I, I kept a countdown chart on my wall to how many days the next Redskins game. and the offseason, I was known as Dan the Redskins man. Uh, throughout my high school, so I'd run around school and be like, hey, it's only 221 days the next Redskins game. You know, people were like, oh, this guy's nuts. <laughs> and I was. And uh, and so I had, a, you know, I, I basically, I, I wanted to play, but I didn't get big enough. But my parents finally, finally let me. Uh, they were scared I was going to get hurt. Uh, they finally let me play my junior year in high school. I was no good at the game. I actually was the only kid on my entire high school football team not to have enough playing time to even earn a letter. Uh, which <laughs> oh. is yeah. Hey, that yeah, sounds like me. Sense. That sounds like me. No doubt. <laughs> I'm not alone. I feel like I was a bard for minutes. <laughs> and uh, uh, but it was it was an incredible. Um, um, you know, just uh, I didn't see the field. I was so bad at playing, and, and so but but I still had this this burning desire. And when I say burning, I mean burning desire to be <laughs> in the NFL. And uh, my parents actually got me this book. I, I, I had, you know, dabbled a little bit in coaching. I love the strategy side of things. I actually had a chance to uh, um, uh, go ahead and drop a play and send it to Joe Gibbs, uh, of course, the Hall of Fame coach now for the Redskins, uh, the only coach in NFL history to win three different Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks. I actually designed a play uh, for him um, with Redskins and sent it to him at 17 years old. And he used that play for a touchdown in a preseason game against the Atlanta Falcons in mm. Chapel Hill, North Carolina. <laughs> so that was kind of my first my first big moment in the NFL, I guess, if you will, at 17. Uh, my parents gave me a book that year uh, called Tony Rosano's Secret to NFL mm. Scout. Uh, it was, I, I couldn't put it down. It became like a Bible to me. I read it cover to cover, forwards and backwards to see awesome. if I gave some liminal messages out of it. Even. Uh, it was it was something where Tony Rosano, of course, was the scouting director for the uh, San Francisco 49ers dynasty in the 80s. Um, I couldn't put it down. I said, this is what I want to be. I want to be an NFL scout. So I actually started recording games at 17, 18 years old and, uh, you know, writing reports. And I sent them out my senior year in high school to Charlie Cassidy, then Washington Redskins GM Charlie Cassidy, and asking him for an internship. He responded to his letters on my book, Whatever It Takes, as well, saying, hey, you're still too, a little bit too young. Mm. Check back with us after your first year of college. Mm. So barely passed through high school because I was so focused on football. Mm. Uh, my parents used to be so irked and infuriated at me, actually, because uh, we'd go to parent-teacher conferences, and they would say, uh, the, parents, by the uh, teachers would say, my parents, you know, if Dan here had as much passion for his, uh, you know, put as much effort into his schooling as he did to the Washington Redskins, he'd be a straight-A student. <laughs> 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 uh, that was a Hey, it's like a Snickers commercial at the dinner table tonight. And that's only work for a while, you know. <laughs> and so it was, uh, it was pretty rough. But uh, you know, I, 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 my whole heart was just, I, I was totally and solely focused on football. Um, you know, went into the, you know, went to a small community college, failed all that pretty quickly, and found myself working at Allstate Insurance um, at 20, 21 years old, uh, telemarketing for insurance leads. And one night, uh, there was an ad on the uh, KFEN radio. You guys have like a sports radio show there, like a like a station, like the fan or something. Um, we have yeah, we have some sports radio shows. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, just like that. Mm-hmm. Just like that. They said, hey, you know, the first 32 callers call in now. The Minnesota Vikings, you come on out to the Vikings <laughs> headquarters, bring a friend. We're going to have a mock draft. Uh, you can, you know, just you can represent the team on the air type of thing. So I had nine open phone lines. So I, I, dealed, I dialed the phone like a crazy person, and I was the second caller to get through. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah. And so they said, you're going to be representing the Jacksonville Jaguars on the air. Bring a friend. We'll provide lunch, all this stuff. Of course, mm-hmm. I called in. I put rabbit ears up. You can't see it. I called in sick to work. And <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It ended up at the uh, Vikings headquarters. And, uh, you know, it was, I, was, I was very nervous. I was very scared at the time yeah. of public speaking. I was, I was the guy in high school that, you know, my knees kind of shook whenever I gave a speech. And, and so I, I uh, you know, they had the open microphone. And, of course, the, uh, the sportscaster from KFA and radio at the Minnesota Vikings headquarters came back from a commercial break. He says, hey, hello, everybody. We're back at live at you know, Winter Park in the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, we got the uh, second pick coming up. And just like the NFL commissioner, you know, comes up to the stand, you know, he did the same thing. He said, um, you know, I stepped into the microphone. He said, and with the uh, second pick in the 1995 draft, the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars select. And I stood up to the microphone and said, Tony Boselli, offensive tackle, USC. And out of the corner of my eye, I could see Tony Dungy sitting there. Mm. At that time, he was defensive coordinator of the Vikings. And, uh, and nobody you know, really was around him. He was sitting by himself at the table. So I took all my old reports I'd you know, done for Casterly, and I, I approached him. I said, hey, right. uh, Coach Dungy, I knew who he was. I said, would you be willing to take a look at these? And he said, you know, after a few minutes, he goes, this, you know, this stuff is pretty good. How would you feel about coming to my office next week and we could sit down and talk more? Wow! I was like, "Yeah, I'm available." Yes, <laughs> you're available. <laughs> of course, of course. Again, I rabbit ears. I called in sick again. <laughs> probably. <laughs> you, you have and, to at that point. That's not even a question yeah, absolutely. anymore. <laughs> absolutely. Of course, I, of course, a lot of my friends and my, my mom still gives me grief to this day because I actually walked into the Minnesota Vikings headquarters wearing my Washington Redskins jacket. Oh, no. That's in the book, too. Absolutely. The book, is, the book whatever it takes, is full of uh, many, uh, many things. It'll provide a laugh for you as well, some, some, some other things, too. But, yeah, it was. I uh, walked in there. Coach Dungey was very gracious. Um, um, you know, for the next six months, it turned to be an unpaid internship with Coach Dungey. I learned a lot about life, football, faith, uh, all that good stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, he was very compassionate. He gave me some assignments. And he introduced me to uh, one of his best friends, uh, who he played college ball with, was offensive coordinator of the 49ers at the time, Mark Tressman. And I've known Mark now for 25 years. It's mm. been a, a great relationship knowing him. And, uh, of course, he's the only coach in, in football history to win two different, uh, you know, develop two different MVPs in two different leagues, Rich Gannon with the Raiders, right. uh, of course, in, in the NFL, and, of course, Anthony Cabello with the uh, Montreal Alouettes and the CFL. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so I you know, went through that. Coach Dungy left for a great experience, but he left for Tampa. And um, I left back for the real world, which meant selling Kirby banking cleaners go door to door. And let me tell you, that's, that's a hard sale. Let me tell you guys. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you know, showing people all the dust mites in their their mattresses is, is no no easy thing. <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, so so I went back to the real world. And this is really where you know I talked about this in my book. I I went through a really hard time in my life during this time. My my first fiance broke up with me. Mm. Um, I really spiraled out of control. Um, at that time I, I went through, I got evicted from my apartment. Mm-hmm. Uh, my vehicle was repossessed. I even spent a day in jail for having a suspended driver's license. Oh. On paid speech. 
tickets. Yeah, it was it was a rough time. I went to a different bar every night, uh, you know, trying to find the answer of the life at the, at the bottom of every bottles, as, as the old Nickelback song goes, mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And uh, it was a tough time, and 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 I really was spiraling out of control until my life started to rebound. I met another woman named Ruth. We got married, and I found myself suddenly working at Bank American Mortgage, probably twenty three, about just about twenty four years old at the time, as a loan officer. I had never done mortgages before in my life, uh, but you know, I found myself here and. And, um, you know, I sat, I sat in this real estate law meeting and I, you know, I don't know if any of our listeners ever gone to this point, um, but I was just kind of like, you know, what am I doing here? Mm. You know, I, mm. my dream is to be an NFL scout, Yeah. you know, and, and it's, it's better to go for it. I mean, I, I, my, my, the biggest influence in my life is Joe Gibbs and what Joe Gibbs mm. did on the fourth and one back in Super Bowl 17 oh, yeah. with Riggins. And, and yeah. It, yeah, that's always made it an indelible impression on my mind and just like, you know, it's better to go for it. Punting, anybody can punt, but, but it's better to go for it and, 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 and try your best for something opposed to always wondering what could have been, yep. if that makes sense. Yep. So so I, I all these ideas start coming to my mind. You know, I had a little satellite dish, Trek TV. You know, I stopped at Target on the way home, bought a bunch of pens and papers, folders, and I started. Uh, I called uh, Direct TV and subscribed to their college football package. I started recording games. And um, next thing you knew, I was neck deep into a seven-month project where I was working full-time at the bank by day, moonlighting by a scout as by night. And, of course, being you know being a jet show, um, you all guys remember Wayne Corbett, right? Oh, yeah, oh, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, check this out, right? Timing is everything, as the old saying goes in life. And I'm sitting there one night, uh, you know, about two o'clock in the morning at this old rundown duplex in northeast Minneapolis. I'm living at the time. And uh, this idea comes to my mind that, uh, you know, I, I'm hungry. I'm going to get some pizza rolls. So I, I stop and, and ESPN's on. I'm eating these pizza rolls and watching. And there's this special on TV about Wayne Corbett. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and it's talking about how his, you know, undrafted free agent on the hopster. It's talking about how his dad, you know, sent all highlight tapes to all the teams in the league and tried to land his son an opportunity. And that's when it really hit me. I was like the light bulb, you know, like the cartoon, the light bulb goes off over my head. <laughs> and, and, and I, I was like, you know, that's it. I've never tried to get to 3 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning, whatever it is. I, I've never tried to get in with any other team in the NFL besides the Washington Redskins. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send out my reports to all the teams to leave. But then I started thinking, well, how am I going to do that? Yeah. You know, I put all my reports into a three-ring binder, send them out, and all that looks too clumsy and awkward. You know, teams will just take out the material and throw it away and use the binder for something yeah. else, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so, and so I, I walk into the bank, and and you know it's just it's amazing because you know when people ask me in life, you know I've, I've been asked by hundreds of people over the last you know several years, you know what do I have to do to get into the NFL? And, and I always tell people the way it worked for me, and and sometimes the answer sounds too simple, but but it's the way it's worked for me. And number one, that's that's paid very close attention to the ideas that just come into your mind out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And, and number two, number two is is to really uh, pay close attention to people that are brought into your path. That that's yeah, the way it happens. Sure. Yeah. So I had a yeah for sure yeah, and so I had a friend at the bank, and his name is Michael Williams, and he said, you know, I told him I just shared with you guys in our audience, and and he said, well, why don't you try to get your discovery reports, you know, put into a like a like a book. And like, mm-hmm. like, and I was like, how do you do that? And he says, well, start calling some publishers in the, in the, in the phone book. So I did, mm-hmm. you know, just, just, you know, so I, I, I called around and one guy liked the story. He liked what I was trying to do. He invited me in and said, listen, Daniel, it's going to cost about $2,300 to, to self publish this book because mm-hmm. it's a 350 page book. 
Um, it's going to take about 85,000 sheets to 85,000 sheets of paper, which is equivalent to three trees. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> and, and absolutely. And, and, and he said, it's, it's good, you know, and $2,300 is all the money I have, you know, for the next paycheck or two on top of the money I have in my pocket. Mm, yeah. and, and, but he said, he, you know, he said, yeah, let's do it. You know, let's do it. And so I, I, I embarked on this project and, uh, was in a very strict schedule, barely got it done by April 1st. And uh, went ahead and personalized uh, one of these books, a 350-page 1998 NFL draft report, personalized one to every head coach, GM, and director of player personnel in the NFL. And I took the extra step, and I actually opened a credit account uh, with Airborne Express and overnighted all three copies of every team. <laughs> oh, uh, <wow>. you know, <laughs> It was a great, so I'm $3,600 into this. I mean, it, but that's just it. Push up all the chips. I'm all in. Yeah. And I said, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to go all out. Yeah, right? and I think that's where a lot of people don't get to where their dream is. They see the money aspect, and it's like, I can't I can't do this right now. Like, there's no way I can do this right now. But you, you took that risk, and you said, this is worth it. And I absolutely love that. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it, it was just, I, I just had to go for it, like I said. And, and, and it's funny because I had this knowing all along that I was going to be in the NFL. I just didn't know where. Mm-hmm. Because even one of my best friends called me during that time and wanted me to go out my, with my wife and I to dinner with his wife and himself. And, and I told him, listen, you know, I'm, I'm on a really strict schedule here. I'm sorry I can't come out with you. And he got mad at me on the phone. He's like, well, what are you going to do when nothing happens? You get done with all this. <laughs> and I said, I said, I said, well, you know what? It's going to happen. I'm going to be in a war room next year in the NFL. That's and so the I attitude. never doubted. Yeah, I never doubted. I never doubted yep. for a second. So I, I sent out this book, right? Three copies of every team in the NFL. No guarantees. And that, that's important to our listeners to stress. No guarantees, like you're saying. You know, roll it all up, put all the chips up on the table. You know, let's go. And uh, empty out the backfield, so to speak, in, in football terms. <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I sent it out. And, and, and all my buddies at the bank at this point, you know, were aware of what I was doing. You know, every time my, my pager went off, they're like, who is it? Who is it? And I'm like, oh, it's some bounce. You know, it's, it's nobody. You know, but then one day the Saints uh, text me, was the first team to respond. And Bruce Slummerman, the college scouting director down the door, named Saints, uh, you know, and, and I, I raced into the conference room at the bank. Uh, he said, listen, Mike Ditka really likes your book. Dang. And, and he's <laughs> the coach of the Saints. <laughs> the Bears, right? I'm thinking, I, I, this is incredible, right? He goes, he really likes your book. And, um, you know, just we have a position open for the Big Ten scout up here in the Midwest. Uh, you know, just, you know, know that other teams are going to contact you, but we are the first and we'll be back in contact. But, you know, we love what you're doing. And I, I'm thinking I'm going to New Orleans. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, so, the, that's the first thing you think. This is awesome. <laughs> And of course, all my buddies in the bank all got their ear up to the door, and they're all excited. You know, they're like, "Oh, wow, this is cool!" And and and, and, and I'm on cloud nine, you know, and I'm yeah. thinking, "Well, I'm going to Saints. I'm going to be a college scout." And then, and then you know, every day during my lunch break, I, I'd go to my mailbox. There'd be another rejection letter in the mailbox from my head coach, <laughs> or general manager, or director, player personnel from the different teams around the league. Uh, you know, I'll never forget the uh, rejection letters I got from Dwight Clark, uh, who of course had the catch, Bill Molia and Von Bull. Um, and all those type of legendary GMs, uh, Bobby Beathard even. Um, and, and uh, you know, all of a sudden, uh, the Saints call back. And I'm thinking, okay, this is it. They're going to have me in for an interview. And, of course, all my buddies, we all, same thing, we all run to the conference room mm-hmm. with the bank. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and all of a sudden, they're like, Where, was it a fire drill? What's going on here, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and, and I, call, I call back, and, and Bruce Lorman, again, the college scouting director at the time for the Norman Saints, answers the phone. 
and he says, um, I'm sorry, Daniel. He said, but oh. one of our senior scouts, um, you know, uh, looked at your book and he disagreed with some of your evaluations. And because of that, we're not going to be able to move forward with any kind of job offer or anything else for that matter. And, Man. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe a summer internship, you know, maybe we maybe can do something like that. I, I don't know, you know, but it just, I, I, I'm sorry. And I, I just stood there and like frozen, like, it's like the call when you, somebody gets the call when they get terrible news on the phone and you're just standing there and it's just surreal. Like you can't even believe it's happening to yeah. you. It's and, like, and, uh, it's, I'm just, it's like, you disagreed with some of it. I mean, but what about the other stuff that you did agree with? <laughs> like, well, what, <laughs> let me have something here, please. And didn't Coach Ditka uh, like it? Doesn't that count for something? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. I think I would have a better chance if I would have worn those Ricky, uh, Ricky Williams dreadlocks. <laughs> 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 you know, it, it, it's, uh, I, you know, exactly. To your guys' point, exactly. That's what I thought, too. I'm like, some of them, which ones did he agree with? That, that was my question, too. <laughs> but but you know so so I was I was heartbroken and yeah. it was almost like you know scoring the game winning touchdown in the Super Bowl and everybody's celebrating and, and the clock's is zero and all of a sudden oh, wait a minute wait a minute John wait a minute there, there's a flag in the play you know holding holding you know it, it's like oh you know it's like you know it's so close but yet so far away and and you know I and my buddy at the bank again Michael Williams the guy was telling me about that you know suggested I write that book you know that, that somebody was brought my path he said listen Daniel. Somebody with as much passion, if not more passion, is going to call you than Mike Ditka. I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> I'm like, okay, who's that going to be? Yeah, is right. Lombardi going to dig him up, or what? Who's it going to be? You know. <laughs> and and, and uh, sure enough, two days later, my phone went off, and the drive to work, I was I was driving to Bank of America in the morning. My pager went off, and it said, "Please call Scott Pioli, um, who's Bill Parcells' son-in-law, to New mm. York Jets." Wow. Uh, five one six five six zero eight two eight zero. I still remember the number <laughs> today. And, 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 and I know I know to... some of our listeners are going to call that number. No, that's not the number anymore. <laughs> so yeah, but I was I was already on the phone trying to call it. I was that was me right absolutely. there. <laughs> absolutely, I, I imagine somebody would be if, if, for sure. Uh, and and uh, you know so. You know, of course, I didn't even know how to say Scott's last name. I'm, I'm a Minnesota guy, right? So, so I call over to the Jets, and I'm like, uh, you know, the receptionist answered the phone. I said, "Hi, do you have a Scott somebody in Scott?" And they're like, "Yeah, Pioli." I'm like, "Okay, fine." <laughs> <laughs> click, click. I, I hang up the phone real fast, and I call back with like a little slightly different voice. I'm like, "Hello, is Scott Pioli, there, please." You know, and it's like, <laughs> you know, and, and the phone starts to ring, and Scott answers the phone, and uh, he says, "Listen, Dan," he said, uh, "You know, Bill, Bill got your book, and." And he likes it. And uh, Bill being Bill Parcells. Yeah. And uh, he said, um, you know, we have a position open in our pro scouting department as a pro personnel assistant. And it's not a high paying position, but it would be a foot in the door for you. Would you be interested? Wow. I was like, yes, sir. Uh, yeah. I was like, yes, sir. <laughs> I was, yes, sir. You know, I, and I, I had a feeling, I, I just, the call felt different than the Saints deal. Mm -hmm. Right. And I was like, yes, sir, I would be. And he says, perfect. He goes, I'm going to fax over a personality profile test. Please fill it out, fax it back. And so I'm thinking, I'm starting to think at this point, it's getting pretty serious. Like, I've been so focused on getting my book done, you know, getting everything, you know, sent out. I, I suddenly realized, guys, that I did not have a suit. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you can't and, just go in a T-shirt. Yeah, you got to get something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm thinking my Redskins jackets are going to work for this one, right? <laughs> yeah, thinking, probably not. 
No, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I don't have a suit. So it, it's Sunday. It's Sunday at the Mall of America, Minnesota, right? And, and I'm walking around with, with, with my wife at the time, Ruth. And we're walking around the mall. It's about 5.30. My pager goes off. Please call Scott Daly, 516-560-8280. And so I, I raised to a payphone. I called. And he says, hey, Dan, uh, Scott, he said, uh, Bill Bill's ready to take the next step with you. Bill be Bill Parcells again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he said, um, you know, when's the suit you can be out here? And of course, I'd exhausted all my vacation time at the bank, et cetera. And I said, well, I'm thinking back in my mind on the suit. So I tried to push him off a few days. I said, well, I could definitely get out there early next week. He goes, no. He goes, Bill doesn't want to wait that long. <laughs> and I said, well, I, I, I can get off tomorrow. I can get off tomorrow. He goes, perfect. He goes, I'll have an e-ticket waiting for you. <laughs> he goes, I have an for you at the Minneapolis airport. We'll have dinner tomorrow night. Can't wait to meet you. Thanks. Bye. Like, wow. All right. That's intimidating and for I, sure. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm like, I look over at Jay Riggins' men's clothing store, and the gate's half down. I made like a beeline. I talk about this in my book, whatever it takes. I made like a, I was like, it was like, like uh, Daryl Green, man. I, I just ran like a 4140 for the, for the rest of the, for the, uh, for the store. And, and I was like, listen, guys, I, and I explained my situation like I'm sharing with all, all of you today in, in your audience. And, and they're like, hey, we love football. We'll stay late. They hooked me up with a suit. The next day, I flew out to New York for a two-day marathon interview that was super intense. The interview process was, was incredible because, I mean, they, they picked me up at the LaGuardia Airport. They ushered me over to Hofstra University. The big sign on the door, the gate says, no visitors allowed. And uh, the gate suddenly opens in front of me. And, of course, the front cover of my book, Whatever It Takes, uh, is a picture of me standing in front of the Jets Super Bowl trophy for oh. Super Bowl three. Mm. It's it's in the front trophy case right when I walk in the front mm. door with all the press clippings from Namath and everything and, and we view bank and and it's the first thing I see when I walk in the door. And and that's really when it hit me. That that's really when it hit me that that you know you're you're in the NFL now. You're you're walking right. into these doors. Man and that's, uh, I tell you what, I it, mean, I'm hoping at some point, being a Jets fan, <laughs> that that's not the only one we're ever gonna get, but uh, that would be um, absolutely amazing to just see that in person and just wow. I mean, that's I love I love the the trophy and the way it looks in itself. I mean, you got the Stanley Cup, you got the World Series, you know, winner, all that all that jazz. But the trophy, it's simple, but it, it it's just like it's nostalgic. I think that's the way that I like to see trophies. It's simple and nostalgic where there's all sorts of other ones that got all this little glamour to it. I don't need all that. I just need a trophy that tells me exactly what I did. And I think I I love the Lombardi trophy and I just hope that someday we can get another one. <laughs> well, absolutely. If I could do anything about it, I'll bring one home for us. <laughs> <laughs> So I actually, I emailed uh, Mr. Johnson right before Joe Douglas took the job and offered to come in there as a GM and told him I could, I could put together a Hall of Fame staff if he took the opportunity. Uh, so I, mm-hmm. I, I, I got a few ideas. I got a few ideas to do it for us. So, but, um, you know, it was, it, you're right. The, the trophy is pristine. And, yeah. and I'd always look at the trophy and, and, and you know, I've, I've always loved the Vince Lombardi trophy. And, you know, so walking and seeing that, being a football fan, because that's really what my story is. You know, a lot of guys are ex-players, or ex, you know, coaches, right. or they go somewhere else, you know, or agents or whatever. Uh, my story is a true story of a fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I'm making the NFL. So when when I saw that trophy, that personally hit me right in the soul. Right. And and then they walked me up the stairs, and oh my gosh, the names and the doors. I mean, I recognized every single one of them. I mean. <laughs> You know, there was Dan Henning and, and uh, you know, Charlie Weiss and Romeo Cornell and Eric Mangini and, and you know, Belichick and Parcells. Mm. And, you know, I'm, I'm just walking around Tannenbaum, 
you know, Pioli <laughs> and I'm looking at all these names and, you know, Dick Haley, you know, I, I they, they, they walked me the first part of my interviews with Dick Haley. Now, now he goes by Mr. Haley. If you're, if you're an intern or if you're a 40 year you know, veteran in the NFL, he commands a certain amount of respect, that kind of respect. He mm-hmm. was the architect of the Pittsburgh Steelers dynasty back in the seventies. And yep. this is where my interview started. And, and, uh, you know, I, I walk in, he was the uh, player personnel director at the time for the Jets under, under Parcells. And he was my boss's, you know, Scott Pioli's boss. And, you know, so I walk in there and, you know, he, he, you know, pans out his hand to me to shake my hand. He's got the big Steelers block. And this is the guy that drafted, you know, Terry Bradshaw, Mean Joe Green, Len Swan, <laughs> John Stallworth, you know, uh, you know, all these guys, Jack Ham, Rocky right. Blyer, you know, and, and Mike Webster. You know, I'm looking, you know, I'm like, wow, you know, and, and this yeah. is the funniest part of the interview. You guys want to hear a funny part of the interview? Well, <laughs> of course. <laughs> And this story's in there. Now, this 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 is just amazing me that I even got to hire the Jets when this happened, right? So, picture this: I'm I'm in Dick Haley's office, and 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 he's been in the NFL for 40 years. And there's this little round table in the back of his office, and we he goes have a seat down. And and so I sit down, and my my book, my my my, my quote unquote 350 page resume, right, my 1998 draft report is sitting mm-hmm. open on the table right in front of me. I sent it in two weeks before the draft, so they went, you know, knew I'd been copying but or anything like that. And I include my handwritten notes, too, to prove I did work. And all of a sudden, my, my book is laying wide open to the page that their top draft pick was that year, which was Doreen Boots. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't have... <laughs> mm-hmm. And they didn't have a first-rounder that year because that went to New England, of course, for Parcells. And so they had a high second-round right. pick mm-hmm. uh, they used on, on, on Dorian. And uh, the funny part about this is the Jets used him as, a, you know, got him in, a, in a, as their top draft pick. Well, in my book, I had him rated as undraftable rejects. Well, that's kind of what uh, what came out out of that. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say you did a good job on that one. Hey, thanks. Hey, <laughs> I, was, I was a little nervous when I saw this. <laughs> you know, because this is who Dick Haley just drafted, you know, and I and, – and so, you know, he kind of looks at me and he invites me into the war room with the Jets. And, and uh, you know, we start talking about different teams I thought did well. He asked me questions. I said, well, I thought the Rams did well in the Bengals. I'm just hoping, you know, he's not going to talk about Dorian. Of course he does. Uh, you know, he starts mentioning some of the Jets draft picks where I thought of them. Blake Spence, Kevin Williams, Scott Frost the, uh, from, from Nebraska. At the time he was a quarterback, he converted to safety. And he says, well, what did you think about Dorian? And he sits back in his chair, you know, and he crosses his legs and he's got, you know, this – salt and pepper hair and his, you know, reading glasses he puts down on the bridge of his nose and he's got a Super Bowl rock. The diamonds are shining in the light. <laughs> and uh, he's like, what did you think of Dorian, Dan? And I said, well, well, sir, with all due respect, I thought he was soft. I thought he did not fight through blocks well. I thought he got tangled up uh, most often. I didn't like his fight. I didn't like his passion. I didn't like, you know, the way he played the game. I thought he mm-hmm. played just soft football and he, and, he, and he gave up too easily. He didn't he didn't show me any fight, Mr. Haley, uh, and, and I'm very concerned about that uh, because he's a defensive player going against uh, you know big guys, and yeah. and I just I, I don't like you know I don't like what I saw out of him as far as intangibles are concerned. And you know, Mr. Haley just stood there, you know, sat there rather, and he shook his head with his little his little half grin on his face, and that's like yeah. And he started explaining to me how Dorian had the same size hands or a little bit bigger hands than Ejo Green and all these different mm-hmm. kind of measurements. I'm like, oh, that's that's yeah, cool. You know, <laughs> and, <laughs> hey, that's neat. And, uh, you know, but, but, but he listened, you know, he was, he yeah. was cool about it. He was comfortable with his own skin. That's one thing that really stands out to me about him to this day is that he was a very secure man uh, in his own skin. And uh, he heard me out. He respectfully heard me out. And, and we, we, we connected. And 
the next part of the interview, I, they brought me to Scott Bioli's office, Scott, uh, with JoJo Wood and took me out to dinner, a uh, big Italian meal. I hardly ate two bites because I was answering their questions the whole time. And uh, great, great meeting both of them. Uh, the next morning, my alarm clock went off at 5.30. They ushered me downstairs. I had breakfast with Mike Tannebaum, who was a contract negotiator at the time, uh, over eggs and bacon, talking about what I knew about the salary cap mm. uh, and all that. Uh, I went back to the facility. They brought me right into Eric Mangini's office. He had crisscrossed, you know, plays, diagrammed all those, uh, you know, his, 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 his you know, board. And mm. I talked about all this in my book, Whatever It Takes, and the experience. Yeah. It was awesome. And, you know, and of course, on the back of my 1998 NFL draft report book, I sent out with my resume that, you know, the book I'm, I'm sharing with you all, um, you know, I, I, in the back cover, I wrote, all I asked for is an opportunity. And uh, Eric Mangini, Coach Mangini, was a defensive backs coach at the time of the Jets. You know, he, he looked at the back of my book. He says, uh, Daniel, he goes, what would an opportunity mean to you in the NFL? I said, Coach Mangini would mean everything. Mm. And I just looked him right in the eyes. He mm-hmm. goes, okay. And then they ushered me into a room, and they wanted me to evaluate Rick Lyle, uh, the defensive end at the time under Bill Check. Um, and they, they said, we're going to give you a couple hours, six tapes. We want you to write up an evaluation what you think of Rick. And so I did. And, and so I got done after two hours in a dark room, a defensive line room, watching the film. I took a bunch of notes, um, you know, try, try to get a real good picture of what Rick Lyle was. And went back in a room in the pro room, and they sat me down on the computer and said, okay, we want you to type up this scouting report. And literally, guys, Literally, literally, right, 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 Tom and JJ, right, right when I sit down at the computer, um, the door opens and it's no parcels. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, I'm like, oh, that's the guy. <laughs> that's the guy. And he introduces himself to me. I'm like, you don't need, no introductions necessary. I know <laughs> right. who you are. <laughs> you know? And he goes, hi, I'm, I'm, I'm Bill Parcells. I said, I, like I just said, I said, I, I, I you know, know who you are, coach. I said, I, I remember watching the kid. They used to dump Gatorade over your head. He chuckled a little bit, you know, and he says, hey, because I just want to introduce myself to you. I want a chance to meet you. He said, and uh, maybe we'll see you around here again sometime, huh? And I said, I would love, I would love. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. Yeah, I said, I would love that. I would love that, mm-hmm. coach. I would love to. And uh, we had a nice, short, brief, but but a good interaction. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and then I, 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 I somehow, some way, I collected my thoughts just enough to be able to sit down at the computer and type up the report. I got done with the report. Scott Pioli asked me to print out three copies of the report and um, and bring them to his office. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, who's I mean, what next? Right? They, oh, mm-hmm. Who's the third report for? <laughs> right. You know, and and right. and and I guess if you guys see the movie Draft Day. Uh, I, I, I have, it's been a little while, but yes. yeah, Kevin Costner, like the NFL mm-hmm. office would look out the window that you can see the field, the big goalpost and all that, right. The yellow you know, right. goalpost. Mm-hmm. That's what it was like in Scott, Scott Peely's office, the <laughs> big corner office. You know, you can see the field. I walk in there and he says, shut the door. And I shut the door. He says, have a seat. There's two, two chairs facing Scott Peely's desk. Mm-hmm. He picks up the phone. He says, okay, he's in here. Can you please join us? Like okay. I'm waiting. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm like, well, okay, what's behind door number three? It <laughs> <laughs> in walks Bill Belichick. Oh no! Oh, and no. he walks in. <laughs> he walks in. He walks in, and uh, he sits down. He, you know, he introduced himself. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Hello, sir. I, I know who you are. You know, and, mm-hmm. and he says, uh, you know, this is the guy that invented the umbrella zone back with the Giants and all the stuff. Mm-hmm. And I watched him a lot growing up with Parcells with the Giants. You know, of course, the Redskins' biggest rivalry was the Giants in the '80s. So I knew these guys very well, um, and or knew of them, I should say. And um, and so Scott hands Billichek one of my copies of my report. Rick Lyle keeps one for himself and gives one for me. And Billichek puts on his little reader glasses and he starts reading my reports. 
<laughs> and 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 uh, you know, it felt like an eternity. It felt like a Snickers commercial. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't doing any work for a while again, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, he was dissecting that that discovery report like like an attorney looking for a contract. And, and uh, <laughs> you know, he he stopped and, and he says he took off the glasses. He said, "Listen, Dan, this is what we tried to ask Rick to do. You know, we run a base three four. You know, something to this effect." He said, "We run a base three four. You know, Rick's a dependable veteran player for us. He does a nice job. He holds up at the point of attack." Uh, you know, he allows linebackers to scrape and make the plays. He does what we ask him to do. We, we trust him. Um, you know, he's not flash. He's not going to get to the quarterback a lot, but you know, he's uh, somebody we you know that, that that does does what we ask him to do, and that's mm-hmm. important to us. Yep. And, uh, and I said, okay. I said, well, thank you for you know just explaining that to me, coach. And he goes to us, sure. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> I was like, and he starts asking me questions. He starts, you know, he says. You know, he said he starts asking questions about my film library. He wants to know about my games I taped and how many games I taped and mm-hmm. and where I you know, my, you know where my source of my film was to do my book and and everything. And and he and he stops and he just kind of looks me dead square in the eyes and he's staring at me for for a moment. <laughs> he said and he says, you know, just like just like you see in the sidelines, you know, when he when he's wearing the cutoff sweatshirt or you see him at a press conference or mm-hmm. you know, he's staring me in the eyes. And I'm probably about <laughs> two and a half feet from you know, he's sitting right next to me on my left. And he, uh, he says, uh, so tell me, Dan, he said, what would an opportunity mean to you in the National Football League? Mm. And uh, it chokes me up even to this day, even thinking about it. I said, uh, Coach Belichick, it would mean everything to me, sir. I said, I will do whatever it takes to succeed here. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I sat there and I stared right in the eyes and neither one of us blinked for probably the better part of 15, 20 seconds. Nobody said anything. <laughs> At least that's what it felt <laughs> like anyway. <laughs> Yeah, it felt like about eight hours. No, I'm just kidding. But, but you know, and and, uh, and he says, okay. Well, thank you for coming out to New York and meeting with us. <laughs> that sounds like Belichick. Like, that sounds like Yeah, him. I was like, and, and uh, uh, I'm thinking to myself in my mind, what about the job offer? <laughs> nope. <laughs> is it over? No, they showed me back to my hotel. I flew back to Minnesota where I was living at the time where I grew up. And without a job offer, and two weeks later, uh, on a Sunday, ironically, again, the phone rings and it's, oh. I can see on the caller ID, it's, 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 it's Scott Fioli. Um, um I can see the five six five six zero eight two eight zero number <laughs> come across my screen. You know, I answer the phone, like, I don't know who it is. I'm like, hello. He's like, uh, he's like, Dan, it's Scott. I'm like, mm. oh, hi. Hi, Scott. And, you know, he says, uh, well, Bill's, Bill's reach a decision on you. And, uh, <laughs> I said, okay. And, you know, this is just like a player in draft day. This is very similar. Um, and he says, you know, Bill's reach a decision on you, Bill, Dan, being Bill Parcells. And, he said, uh, first of all, I need to talk to you about a couple things. And, uh, you know, for number one, he said, uh, he said that, you know, it's, 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 I was, I was able to get, you know, 21,000 approved for your first year. It's, I know it's not a high paying position, <laughs> but you know, it's what, because it all these guys, all these guys and the jets all came up the hard way. I mean, even Ted, even Bill yeah. Bilchek used to get hot dogs for Ted Marchaprota. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Scott Pioli was a GA assistant, uh, you know, Murray State, uh, a Mangini star pick, you know, by name, as an equipment intern in, in Cleveland. Uh, all these guys came up the hard way. Uh, so no, nobody was handing out any seven-figure checks off the bat. Um, and uh, he said, uh, you know, the guy's able to get 21000 approved for you for your first year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know it's not a lot of money, but I also got you a meal ticket over to Hofstra because uh, you, you can have your meals over there for free. And he says, I'm able to get you two season tickets as well to our games. Uh, he says, no. uh, he said, number two, I need to talk to you about, uh, you know, about overtime. You know, he says overtime in the NFL is, is I mean, I remember this conversation like with yesterday, says, you know, <laughs> overtime in the NFL is, is not, um, uh, not optional. It's required. 
And, yeah. and I need to tell you something, Dan. He said, you know, he said, NFL hours are really tough on a young marriage. So if you need some time to talk this over with Ruth and, and, and uh, get back to me, I'm like, Scott, I don't need any time. I said, I, 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 said, I, I finally came on and said, I said, are you offering me? He says, I am. I said, well, I accept. He goes, he goes, well, congratulations. You're the newest member of the New York Jets. Oh, man. Right. Awesome. I, I, I lost it. I lost it. Yeah. I would too. I mean, I was just, uh, that's insane. <laughs> I mean, uh, you you dealt with Belichick. I mean, how else? I mean, that's the worst. It's the worst possible thing you can deal with. Now, let me ask you a, a, a quick little question. You know, the time that you've been on the Jets, are there any players that you've scouted that we may recognize? No, I never got to that point. Okay. Uh, I, they, they kept pro scouting. They kept me chained up in the pro scouting room. I like to joke. Uh, we, we didn't have any, any, uh, any clocks or we had no, uh, no windows. Um, you know, everybody kind of comes up the same way. Uh, my main primary functionality in the pro scouting department for the first two years, uh, was, um, you know, was, was really, you know, I guess you could say it was information gathering. Okay. Uh, the, the, the whole, the whole cornerstone of bill, the both bills, the bill, the big bill, and little bills are known around the building. When I was there, <laughs> the cornerstone of the operation was information gathering and the saying around the building was gather it, but never give it. Uh, so there was such a primary focus in information gathering. Information gathering was as important, if not more important yeah. than the evaluation process on the bill. That's crazy. Um, so, yeah, so they really got me into that. Every day, Scott Pioli would come into my, my desk area, and he would bring me a stack of papers probably about four inches high. <laughs> when I first got to the chest, I could only type like 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 one finger peck away the keyboard at once. When I left, I was typing 90 words a minute just to give you guys an idea. How <laughs> much I had uh, it was incredible, and 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 Scott would give me this huge stack of, of, of papers called SportsCam, and we had a computer system called Jet Scout, and my job was he would highlight all the pertinent information from each team around the NFL from every major newspaper that he got, like it was some kind of service you subscribed to or something called SportsCam, and he would highlight all the stuff in yellow, and it was like every piece of information you can imagine about a player. You know, so-and-so pulled his hamstring last Sunday. This guy over here got a DWI last weekend. This yeah. guy over here got arrested for, you know, uh, allegedly, you know, uh, a domestic problem with his girlfriend. This guy over here got busted with 50 pounds of a pot in his, in his trunk. You know, <laughs> it, it was always something. And, and so I, I accumulated all this information because what they would do with the information is they would use it in the negotiations process with, with the, uh, the players. Uh, because what Mike Tannenbaum taught me is that, you know, the agents are always trying to, to negotiate subjectively, but it's the club's responsibility to negotiate objectively. And, and so they would use this information not only for the purpose of player acquisition, but also in terms of, of the games themselves and the advanced scouting process, which is part of the pro scouting department. Yeah. And so there was a lot of information gathering. I was in charge of like with Jojo Wood and I, we put together all the rosters around the league. We maintained the film library. It was just a lot of organization. One thing I can unequivocally say about Scott Pioli's department, the New York Jets, it ran like a wild oil machine. Uh, he is Bill Belichick, or was his right hand man, and uh, of course he went on to become NFL executive of the decade with the Patriots uh, during their early part of the run. And uh, you know it, it, everything was about organization, and uh, so I did a lot of that. Um, my my third season uh, after Scott and, and Peely and Bill Belichick, everybody left up from New England. Um, actually, I, Bill Belichick walked right past me in the hallway before he turned on the job, which I was by claim fame there. Oh wow. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. That was my Forrest Gump moment. You guys seen the movie Forrest Gump, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
you know, it's, it's like, it's like uh, he walked right, you know, he, he walked past me in the hallway and said, you know, he said, hi, Dan. I said, hi, coach. Like, literally, and he opened the door. And, and I always like to joke with people. I was like, I saw that nice young coach right before he went to New England. Oh, my God. <laughs> I got I to gotta ask, gotta ask you a question. Do you have any idea why Belichick turned – turned it down on a napkin and and he just left on his way to uh, a different team I, I don't I just that's something that haunts Jets fans forever and ever because we know that how good he's been with the Patriots do you have is there any clue in I don't know if you got any inside information or anything like that but I just it does bother a lot of us Jets fans because we're sitting there thinking this guy's won how many Super Bowls with Tom Brady and then we got nothing like <laughs> is there any huh. any idea in your head of why he might have turned it down in the way he did? Because Parcells was still gonna be in control. Okay. That's yeah, interesting. Parcells was still Parcells was still gonna be in the GM role behind the scenes. Okay. And uh he he wanted to run his own show. That's everything I heard. All right. I, I I have to at least respect that to a certain degree. I mean, you do wanna have some kind of control as a head coach and obviously what he's done with the Patriots has been insane so yeah you got to give respect to the I guy. I think he knew what he was doing. I think so. <laughs> I, I can tell you guys I'll share something that nobody knows. All right. Uh, Bill, Bill, you guys want that? Yeah absolutely <laughs> give us some inside information. Uh, absolutely I better be careful what I say here no, but, but, <laughs> but from my personal observations from everything I saw inside the building uh, Al Davis always was heavily courting Bill Belichick. Mm-hmm. Al, Al Davis wanted to, to hire him in the worst way, but, it, but Bill would never go there. Huh. Wow. That would have changed the that face of the that's NFL, That's crazy, too. yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, I do have another question here. I don't know how you're going to answer it, but do you have any opinion on how the Jets are going to be this year? I think it could be a, a struggling. I hate to say it because yeah. I know, you know, I, it's it's. I know Jets fans are always always optimistic. I've always respected <laughs> the fan base. <laughs> I've always respected the fan base because they're always really optimistic and and their encouragement, love, and support is always is always so big. So I hate the, especially in the midst of this COVID nineteen craziness that's no, going yeah, out there. I hate, sure. You know, I I hate I hate to you know throw any any additional rain on the parade. Uh, but <laughs> We're used I, to it. Don't I, get don't get don't get too <laughs> down on yourself. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I I, I love Sam Darnold. I, I love yes. Leon Bell. I, I love mm-hmm. Jameson Crowd. I'll, I'll start by saying that. I think there's some some pieces there. I was extremely disappointed at the Jamal Adams trade. I can't even I can't even yeah. put in the words how disappointed I was. I don't know how you guys felt about that. Well, I could tell you this. I, but, I was disappointed with it, but. At the same time, he was somebody who wasn't really willing to be on the team anymore. It seemed like he was trying to stray away from us. And I, I understand the disconnect there between the team and him. And so just getting something out of it, like we got two first-round picks and uh, McDougal as well. So I actually, I'm actually pretty okay with it just because it didn't seem like he wanted to be on the team anymore. Well, that's a big part of it too. Yeah, yeah. When, I, when I evaluated, I, I did a Jets team report last year and looked at all the guys uh, – uh, an advanced scout report, and and I, I thought I thought Jamal Adams was was, was all world. I, I oh yeah, you know, I thought he, you know, and and so to lose somebody like that, and now of course with C.J. Mosley, you know, with him opting out with the yeah. COVID thing, yeah. 
and and so so I think it could be a struggle. Yep. Um, I, I think it, it's kind of weird because Joe Douglas seems to be putting together a team like like he's kind of looking to the future, uh, at the same time trying to play for the for the present. And and so you know I you know I, I don't know you know I I know that there's been a lot of experts quote unquote that made a lot of predictions through the years, and I would love to see how many of them were right, but not probably too many. <laughs> Um, so, you know, I, I, there's always reason for optimism. And if there's any silver lining in the cloud, so to speak, for Jets fans to hold on to right now, is I think we're going to see a season with this COVID thing going on that's unlike any other, I think, mm-hmm. expecting unexpected. You know, because all of a sudden, I mean, you, we may sit here and think that, oh, my gosh, uh, yeah, it looks really good. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, the Patriots this, uh, you know, whoever else that, the Chiefs this, the right. Holmes. But, but, you know, all of a sudden, uh, you know, and I don't want to speak this over anybody's life, but all of a sudden some, some players come down, they, get, they test positive, uh, some coaches test positive. I mean, you can imagine, I mean, like, like if a, a star running back, a star quarterback, all of a sudden Friday they're gone. You know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know so, so this could give the Jets a distinct advantage and level the playing field even more. And I think the Super Bowl champion this year, uh, hopefully we complete the season. If we do, I think the Super Bowl champion this year is going to be a dark horse that nobody saw coming. That's very possible. I mean, the way things are laying out right now with COVID nineteen and and all that, you see it in baseball and 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 how some teams are they're just continuing to go on. So I don't know what the NFL is going to do. I don't know how they're going to you know continue to play the games when people are you know basically wrapping each other up and breathing on each other. So it's going to be an interesting way they're going to do this. But uh, there's absolutely a possibility that it could be anybody. It could be any team this year because you never know. As long as Sam Darnold doesn't get mono again, I think I'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it could, it could be a crazy year. It could be the year the Jets win the Super Bowl too at the same time. Let's I hope mean, so. Anything can, happen. <laughs> anything can happen, and I think that's the thing to hold on to this year uh, is anything can happen and, and um, on any given Sunday. Yeah. All right, uh, Daniel, where can people pick up a copy of your book? Yes, absolutely. Thank you for asking. Um, if you want to go to my book website, that's the place to find out more about my story. Uh, there's some some uh, some pages on there that the book uh, talks a little more about the story. On whatever it takes, book.com. Uh, mm-hmm. It's important to put the book part in there. So again, whatever it takes, book.com. Uh, the book is available anywhere books are sold online, including Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble. It's available in 11 different countries. Um, and, um, and of course my, my Twitter, uh, if anybody wants to follow me on there, it's at Daniel Kelly book. Um, and, but, uh, yeah, the books, books all over the place. I talked to somebody on the show the other day in the UK and they said, oh yeah, we, we've heard about your book. I'm like, okay, yeah, it's getting out there. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I tell you what, Daniel, it has been a real pleasure having you on the show. A fantastic story. I absolutely loved it. Uh, we appreciate you coming on the show and talking about your story. So, uh, I think that's probably going to do it. I thank you for coming on again, and we'll keep in touch, man. Absolutely. Hey, thank you so much, uh, Tom and JJ, for having me on the show. Thank you to all the Jets fans. You guys are the, are the <laughs> best. And remember, remember, if, if you have a dream, you know, this book, and as I always say on, on, on the conclusion of every show I'm on, uh, if you have a dream out there and, 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 yeah. and you, you can see it, Believe you and me, it's possible because if I could go from from playing left bench one year in a high school football team <laughs> and get hired by arguably the greatest staff in the history of the NFL with hardly any football background when I was working at a bank, you can do whatever whatever your dream is. Yeah, absolutely. So my to you is wave the punter off the field, be like Joe Gibbs, and go for it. Yeah, awesome story. Thank you again. Yep. Thank, Thank you, Daniel. You. Thank you, Tom and JJ. You guys take care. All the best of luck this season. 
And that was Daniel Kelly, former scout of the New York Jets. Once again, go check out his book, Whatever It Takes, The True Story of a Fan Making It to the NFL. And I think that's just going to do it for us on this episode. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.